to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, brothers. It's anointed worship, amen? Praise God. Well, if you have joined us during the stream and uh, you may have missed my greeting earlier, let me just reintroduce myself for any guests this morning. I'm Pastor Courtney Hall of Praise Christian Fellowship. To the family, I want to uh, say thank you once again for your faithfulness in uh, continually being a part of these virtual gatherings. Uh, not only our Sunday morning online streaming service, but to the many of you that participate in our weekly Wednesday night Zoom call, and we'll be doing that once again this coming Wednesday. Um, and even to those who aren't able to participate in that, that Zoom meeting, or maybe not able to participate every week, but sometimes can and sometimes can't, wherever you're at, if you can join us in prayer, um, not only on Wednesdays, but of course, always. Pray without ceasing. That will be one of our themes of, of conversation in today's teaching. It's certainly one of the themes of our life in Christ, and it is one of the themes of what it means for us to be Praise Christian Fellowship, to be a people of Jesus Christ who are called to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all things, to continue to press in for the things of the faith, the things that the Lord has called us to contend for, to intercede for. And so um, be with us in prayer, even if you can't be with us on the Zoom call. Uh, and in the spirit, we will be united. You know that uh, during this time of the pandemic, we've adopted a particular initiative every evening at 7 p.m. Pacific time. That's 1,900 hours in the military. We, as the army of God, doing battle not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual powers and principalities, which, believe me, are at work in this pandemic in a variety of ways. Not only the novel coronavirus itself in terms of the devastation of the COVID-19 disease, but also in terms of the economic devastation, the, the social destabilization, the, um, the oppression and distress that people feel in their hearts, in their minds, uh, in their work, in their finances, in, in their bodies, in their uh, families. All of those things have a spiritual force associated with them that is trying to advance a cause of evil, uh, the cause of the enemy, of the devil, the cause of hell, which is to lie and steal and kill, to cheat, to destroy. But the purposes of the Lord and the strength of the Lord is greater. He who is in you is greater than these demonic forces that are in the world. And so every night at 1900 hours, we have marching orders to pray that we would carry on victorious in destiny. Will you say that with me? Carry on victorious in destiny. You know that that's an acronym that spells out COVID, but it reclaims that name and says we have a purpose to pray. And so each night we have a, a unique focus in prayer. Tonight our focus is going to be, as I already mentioned earlier, expectant mothers. And that seems like an appropriate topic. And let's go ahead and throw in lots of wonderful prayer for all mothers as we do that. Well, we're going to turn to the time of the teaching. And as we do so, I ask if you have a Bible there with you, and I hope that you do, that you would uh, uh, get it to you and open it to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we are as we continue in the whole armor of God. If you're watching online and you are watching on a separate device and you've got your Bible on your phone, then you can do that. Uh, but we also will have scripture passages to present to you on your screen. So you can follow along with me. Ephesians 
chapter 6 as we continue in part 3 of the whole armor of God. We're going to pray that the Lord would anoint me and my teaching. Will you follow along with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for this opportunity once again to open your word. I pray that your word would open us, that we would open to it and to you most especially. Not only that we would receive the edification of the information, the wisdom and knowledge that is in your word that is active and alive, but even more that we would receive the fullness of who you are, that your whole character would come and cover us, Lord that we would be dressed in your character, that we would be robed in your righteousness because we have none of our own. So we come with repentant hearts and expectant hearts. We ask that not only you would cleanse us from sin, but that you would fill us with light and life, your light, your life, your word, in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you've heard the sayings. There's so many of them that I can't even probably relay them all. One is the clothes make the man. Maybe you've heard this phrase, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job you want. Dress for success, right? All of these have to do with a particular reality, which is, I guess, another adage, that the clothes make the man. And if it's true of a man, then it's true of a woman as well. Why does it matter so much what we wear? These these sayings, they they seem to reflect a certain essential reality about how we put ourselves out in the world, the way that we look, what we are wearing, is about more than just protection from the elements. It's about a statement of identity, of who we are, of who we want to be. And we dress differently for different occasions. And when we say we dress up, it means that we are elevating that expression of who we are. We are elevating perhaps even our sense of who we are. As an actor, one of my favorite parts of preparing for a role is when you come to something that's called a fitting. And you can tell just from that, and you've probably had fittings of your own, even if you're not an actor, what that's about. It's about getting measured and then looking at the clothes that that character is going to wear and making sure that they fit. I particularly love this moment when you're doing a period piece, if you're doing a a production in which it's set in a different time frame. And it's because when you put those clothes on, the old-fashioned clothes, no matter what kind of a character you're playing, I've played characters that were wearing armor before, and in fact, that is, of course, the topic of our series. And I'll tell you, when you put armor on, you feel the strength of that armor, even if, as silly as this sounds, even if it's just showbiz armor, even if it's just a costume, and it wouldn't really provide you very much protection because, you know, those bronze breastplates that you see, for instance, the Roman armor, a lot of times they're not really made of bronze. Sometimes they are made of metal, but it's very lightweight metal. Sometimes it's a very metallic-looking plastic. But there's something about the feel of that that, that, that gives you a little strength in your step, a little length in your stride, a little bit of height on your heels. Because when you put it on, you're doing more than just putting on a piece of wardrobe. You're putting on a character. 
And in fact, many actors will say, and I'm one that feels this way, that when you put on the right costume, if it's, if it's well-designed and if it's suitable for that character, you start to get a sense of who that person is. It informs who you are. The armor of God, as Paul discusses it here, a series of symbols, analogies, for the spiritual tools that God provides to his people for the purpose of victory in spiritual warfare are not just items of an itinerary from a soldier's wardrobe. They are, in fact, symbols for the full character of God. What an amazing thing that when we put on the full armor of God, the whole armor of God, we are actually receiving the whole character of Christ. In fact, I'm going to ask you to repeat that with me. Let's say this. When I put on the whole armor of God, say that. When I put on the whole armor of God, may I put on the whole character of Christ. May I put on the whole character of Christ. You know, that's actually what we were saved for. In fact, I would dare say that's what being saved is. It's certainly what the process of sanctification is about. Salvation secures us in eternity with Christ. But it doesn't secure us in eternity in Christ just to keep on being the kind of people that we were without Christ. That would be horrific. That, that would be hell. To be eternally ensconced in sin, always wearing the robes of unrighteousness, sullied and dirtied by our sin, by the wrong that we've done, by the wrong that we've believed, by the wrong that we've received and that's been done against us. No, we've been liberated from all of that. In fact, last week when we talked about the belt of truth, we, we came to a bedrock reality about truth, which is truth in Christ is more than just information. Again, it's character. It's a personality. It's the person of Jesus Christ and his truth sets you free, sets you free from that old way of living, sets you free from that old wardrobe of sin. And yet he doesn't leave you there. Having washed you with the water of his word, he robes you with the garments of his righteousness. Today we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And once again, it comes out of Ephesians chapter 6. Now, for those who are part of the, uh, the brethren of PCFLA, the brothers and sisters who've been uh, faithfully with us through this series, you know that not only are we progressing through this discussion of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, but we are doing this having already studied weeks together in the entire book of the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And so I just want to remind you that this moment is something that Paul has built up to. He has built up to the recognition of who we are in Christ, that we were saved not through our righteousness, but through his, but it was God's plan from the beginning. In other words, before we were even made, God had already decided that he would save us and how he would save us, that he would sacrifice himself for us and that he would do so in order that you and I could be with him and like him, with him and like him. Turn to the person next to you and say, I want to be with him and I want to be like him. And you know what's so great? That's what he wants too. And that's what this is all about. So Paul, in writing this letter, 
has said, I want to make sure you're aware that that's God's desire for you and that he's done everything necessary, provided everything necessary from the heavenlies right here and now on earth so that you can be with him, like him, united together one another, and so that you can see, so that you can see the reality of the enemy that you face, but even more importantly, you can see the reality of the God you serve who clothes you in his righteousness, who clothes you in his character. So Paul says here, finally, recognizing all of this, take your stance. Take your stance to advance the things of the kingdom that you've been called to do and to be. Be strong in the Lord, verse 10, and in his mighty power. That's his full character. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Oh, the devil's got schemes, doesn't he? He's got ways. He's got wiles. He's crafty. He's clever. We don't deny that. We don't diminish that. What we recognize is God is greater, and you and I can take a stand against that. Our struggle isn't against people. You know, people are problematic. I can say that as one of them because I'm a problematic person. I'm a person and I can be a pain in the neck. If you doubt that, and I know you don't because many of you have already experienced it, but you can talk to Hazel, my wife, and she'll make it very clear for you because she, she has to deal with that every day. God bless her for it. But the reality is we're, we're all uh, a lot of work, aren't we? And yet, we are not meant to be struggling with each other or even, in a sense, with ourselves. But instead to recognize that our struggle is spiritual. We certainly are to examine ourselves, and we certainly are to test and discern the spirits so that we can stand against the wicked rulers in the spiritual realm, against the authorities and powers of this dark world in the spiritual realm, those forces of evil in, in a spiritual environment who are trying to do the works of darkness. So in order to face them, we've got to put on all of God's character. We've got to receive all of God's equipping, the full armor of God, so that when the time of intense struggle comes, when the time of testing comes, you'll be ready to stand your ground. I think if we've learned anything in the last six or eight weeks, we've all been freshly reminded of how quickly things can change, of how out of the clear blue, as it were, a challenge can arise, and you didn't expect it. And what a reminder it is that the time to be ready for that is not when you know that it's arrived, but before it arrives. I mean, I think that's what Paul is saying here, is get ready in advance for the time of intense challenge and struggle. I mean, there's always challenge, but then when a new challenge comes, when a greater struggle comes, then suddenly you realize that if you aren't already dressed in the things of the Lord, it's going to be that much more difficult for you to fight your battles. And this is how we fight our battles, in the character of Christ. Standing our ground and after we've done everything, to stand. He's not saying there, Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, is not just saying all you can do is sort of stem the tide you know, you're not going to be able to, to, to get a victory, but at least you don't get pushed over. No, quite the contrary. Paul is appealing to um, a reality of Roman warfare, which was that the way that ground was taken 
on the battlefield was to come and stand on it and claim it and then not be pushed back. So even though it sounds purely defensive, the reality is Paul is speaking here in a way that talks about moving forward into enemy territory and reclaiming it. Because in part, we're not, we're not conducting an invasion. It is Satan who is the invader. It is Satan who is the squatter, if you will, who has come into territory that was never intended for him and has stolen it away from those for whom it was intended. You and I were called to be stewards of this world. Human beings were entrusted with a role of responsibility in this world. And even though we failed that role, and even though the enemy took advantage of our failure, he, having tempted us into it, then took advantage of us through it, nevertheless, God has a plan that has not changed from the beginning. And God's plan is that we should take back that which was taken from us, not in our own strength, but in his, in his righteousness. So... Stand firm with the belt of truth that sets you free, that girds you up, that makes you ready. Remember we talked about how a belt gathers up those loose flowing garments that the ancient uh, world was known for and prepared people to move. Now we turn to the breastplate of righteousness being in place. Think about a breastplate. It covers every element of your most vital organs, except for, I suppose, perhaps your brain. But the brain can't survive if the lungs and the heart don't, right? And so in the torso, we have essential uh, organs that if there's a wound to those organs on the battlefield, it's typically a fatal wound. It's certainly a wound that will take the opponent out, right? They're going to be knocked down immediately if there's a wound to that area. So this covering of the, of the vital organs in the reality of the symbol that Paul is using is immediately recognizable to us. Even though this kind of combat and this kind of armor isn't uh, typical of our modern world, nevertheless, even today, think about when police forces go out and they're wearing bulletproof vests, that's a breastplate to protect essential organs. Now, I'll remind you that the terminology that's being used here in Ephesians chapter 6 about the whole armor of God or the full armor of God is not just uh, an adjective that is intended to describe um, thoroughness. It, it does have that in it, but it's more than just a linguistic flair. It, it's actually a functional term, panoplion is the way that it's conjugated in this passage, and it refers to a a complete outfitting of a soldier's equipment, everything that the soldier needs. And so here with the breastplate, there is something that goes beyond, I want to say, just the protective covering. Although in the, the reality of the Roman armament, that's primarily what it was about. Um, there is something also about that, that breastplate that, that's very impressive looking, isn't it? I mean, that's one way to get abs fast. You just put one of those breastplates on, right? It looks good. That's like, that's like the, uh, I keep coming back to Batman in this series. I guess, I guess I, uh, I'm more of a Batman fan than I realized. But he's got body armor too, right? And uh, it always looks impressive when you see that suit, right? There is, again, there's a, a, 
an intimidating quality to seeing a warrior dressed with this armament. It says there is a strength not only in this breastplate, but in this breast. There's a strength of heart. As I was praying and meditating about this, this element of Christ's character, I realized that a breastplate of righteousness is a breastplate of love. It covers the heart, it's of the heart, and yet it reveals the heart of God. You and I don't think of love as, as being an element of battle. Well, I don't know, maybe you do, but if you do, it might not be in the best sense. There's that saying that says there's a thin line between love and hate. I'm not referring to that kind of uh, uh, a dichotomy. What I mean is love is strong. Hey, it's Mother's Day, and some of us have been blessed to have really loving mothers. I realize when I say that that, that some didn't have that blessing, and that, that can be a challenge on a day like this. If you had a mother that you didn't know, or that abandoned you, or who simply didn't reflect uh, real and sacrificial love to you, um, that, that's, a, that's a tough reality to face. But I want to tell you something. God, our Father in heaven, also loves with a mother's love, with a mother's heart. That is, God knows what it is to give life out of himself like a mother knows. God knows what it is to look at his child and say, you, you are part of me, you came out of me, and I will never, ever forsake you. I will never, ever abandon you, no matter how far wrong you go, no matter how downtrodden you feel, I'm here for you. I don't know, I, I do think there, there is something about that that's, that's maternal. My mother showed that kind of love to me. And she's somebody that I know, no matter what I do in this world, no matter how wrong I get it, that woman will never stop loving me. And she would give her life for me. And that's the kind of love that the Lord has for you. And that love is strong. They say, if you want to get in trouble with a mother bear, come against the cubs, right? A mother knows how to defend her own. A mother's love is a fierce kind of love. And our Lord's love is a fierce kind of love to protect, to preserve, and to encourage, to show you who you really are and what you're really meant to look like. So I want to talk today about how the breastplate of righteousness reveals some essential character traits of God. Do you remember when last year, during our, our year of fruitfulness, we did a study in another of Paul's letters, the letter to the Galatians, on the fruit of the Spirit? And we talked about how the fruit of the Spirit are all attributes of God's character. And all of those attributes are, in one way or another, an aspect of love. Well, I'm coming back to the same thing again, and it's not just because it's my hobby horse. 
It's because I think the deeper you go in the word and the deeper the word of the Lord goes in you, the more you realize that God is love and everything about him is love. Not a wishy-washy kind of love, not a love that doesn't take a stand, not a love that fails to speak the truth, exactly the opposite of that, but love that is truth, truth that is love. Righteousness is not just doing the right thing in the same way that truth isn't just knowing the right information. Again, righteousness goes deeper than that. Righteousness is about a person and the person is God. And the way that you and I know God, the way we can see him is to look at Christ. And when you look at Christ, you are seeing the full nature of God in human form. You're seeing the whole armor of God on him. And you're seeing love manifest in faith, in hope, and in the purity of love itself. Righteousness is faith. I'm going to show you that in scripture. Hope is an expression of righteousness. The righteous take hope in the Lord. The righteous place their hope in the Lord. And that hope does not disappoint because it is bounded in, it's rooted in, it's girded with the love of God. Now you recognize faith, hope, and love from another famous letter of Paul's. Let's look at it real quickly. It's the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love never fails. Talk about strength. Love never fails. It never, ever breaks. That's God's kind of love. You know, in talking about righteousness, God's righteousness is greater than ours. In fact, we don't have any righteousness unless it comes from God. But when we have righteousness from God, it doesn't break. We may break faith with it, with him, we may deny him, as Paul wrote elsewhere, but he cannot deny himself. His righteousness remains strong. His love remains strong. So sometimes we may fail in our love. We do. I know I do. But God's love never fails. Real love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, that also will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now, I want to mention Knowledge hasn't passed away yet, so neither have tongues and neither have prophecies. All of those things are still ongoing. But there is a time when they pass away, not because they are so inefficient or incomplete, but because their completeness is fulfilled. In other words, they are swallowed up in the greater thing that arrives. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said that in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. But it's not because there's no marriage in heaven. It's because there's one marriage in heaven, and it's commemorated with the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's the marriage of God and his people, Christ and his church. That kind of love never fails. And every other aspect that's being described here, prophecies, tongues, knowledge, will be made whole in that fullness. Right now, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, when the wholeness of God is the fullness of his people, then what is in part disappears because it's, it's just like if you have a puzzle piece and you put it into the full puzzle. You no longer see that piece because you see the whole picture. The piece is still there, but it's now been made complete. And it's not just a piece in and of itself anymore, but there is the shalom wholeness that is there. When I was a child, I talked like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. 
For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now listen, these three remain. So what, what does that mean? These three remain? It means these three are eternal. Say this, faith, hope, and love are eternal. Faith didn't begin with you or with me. It's in God. Hope didn't begin with you or with me. It comes from God. Love didn't begin with you or me. It is God. To say that it's eternal, not only never ending, but without a beginning, is to say that this is God. These three remain because these three are one, and his name is Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love are the character of Christ. And if you want to know what the essential character is, it's love. The greatest of these is love. His righteousness is his love at work in us, not only to cleanse, but to cover, to cover that nakedness that was revealed back in the garden in the moment of sin, and to give us faith, faith that is the, the substance of what we are hoping for, which is the reality of love. There's three places in the scripture that I want to take you to quickly. Genesis 15, where we look at faith and righteousness. Isaiah 59, which is also very obviously in the mind of Paul, no doubt by the Holy Spirit, when Paul is writing about the breastplate of righteousness, because hundreds of years earlier, the ancient Hebrew prophet Isaiah, also under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote about the Lord putting on armament, including a breastplate. And finally, love. And particularly, I'm going to be talking about love as it's manifest among us, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, the, the body of Christ. So let's turn to the breastplate of righteousness. Faith that can move mountains. Genesis 15 tells more in the story of the man Abraham who at this point is still known as Abram and who has been promised something by God, but he doesn't yet see it. So he sees the promise, or that is he realizes the promise. He realizes, just as Paul wants us to realize in the book of Ephesians, that there are these glorious blessings that God out of the heavenlies is promising to Abram, which is, I will give you offspring. I'll give you a son, and I will increase your line. And the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. So the Lord was calling him to go out. The Lord was calling him to face hardships. The Lord was calling him to enter into um, places and circumstances that were not going to be easy, that involved risk, that involved letting go of what he already had in order to lay hold of the greater thing that God was calling him to. And, and as God was calling him, he was saying, don't be afraid. Not because you're not going to face any hardship. The Lord's not saying, don't be afraid, Abram, because there's nothing to be afraid of. The Lord is saying, don't be afraid because I go before you. I am your shield. And here we have one of those moments in the Old Testament where already the Lord is indicating that the reality of who he is and who he is for and in us is like armament to protect and to enable us to take the territory, the promised land, the promised people that he has promised us 
we can be in him. And Abram, who had no reason to believe it other than faith, other than that he said, this God that I serve is honest, is true, is loving, and is good, and can be trusted. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited to him as righteousness. So you see that a breastplate of righteousness is a breastplate of faith. Now you say, well, wait a minute. We're going to talk about the shield of faith. Aren't you getting ahead of yourself here? Well, we are going to talk about the shield of faith. That's coming in a future week. But let's recognize that, as I mentioned, with the fruit, with the gifts, so with the armor of God, each element is in some way related to the other elements as well. And so in this breastplate of righteousness is also faith. In other words, in order to receive that covering, and here you can see that the notion of a shield of faith and a breastplate of righteousness are bound together in a single suit of armor. In order to receive that, we receive it by faith. And that covers us with something so strong it can't be broken. I like how it says that the Lord credited it to Abram as righteousness because I, I, I sense in that a covering, a, an equipping. I'll put this on you. You have received, Abram, my promise by faith, and that faith becomes a breastplate of righteousness that covers your heart, that protects your heart. Before we move on, I want to say something to someone whose heart is breaking right now, and I don't know why, and there may be more than one person that this is speaking to, but even as I said those words, something began to flicker in you, something within that, that aching, breaking heart of yours. It may just be the struggle of what we're all facing right now. It may be that you are facing something particularly difficult in that. It may have nothing to do with the pandemic or COVID-19, but everything to do with other circumstances that are even more challenging in your life. It may be something that you have grappled with for a long, long time. But somewhere there's a brokenness in your heart. Someone betrayed you, someone disappointed you. Maybe it was yourself. Maybe you've let yourself down too many times to count. I can relate. But the Lord says, will you trust me? I see your broken heart and I want to make it whole. Give me the pieces of your heart today. I know you think it's a mess. I know you feel ashamed. But I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to receive your broken heart into my hands, says the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to be called your God. And I'll be your shield. I'll cover your heart and fill it. I'll heal your heart and strengthen it. And I'll fulfill my promise to you. Yes, I will. You can hope in that, you can trust in that. Because it doesn't disappoint, because I, do. I don't disappoint. If you'll believe that today, just believe it. Say, I can't believe it, but I choose to. It seems impossible, but I make a choice to believe it. The Lord will account to you righteousness. And that righteousness will be faith, and that faith will be strong, and it will fill you with love and clothe you with the character of Christ. With a breastplate of righteousness that is a hope that doesn't disappoint. <laughs> I was talking before about, you know, the Batman costumes and so forth. You can go into a costume shop and get one of these Roman armor 
breastplates and put it on and look like you've got pecs of steel and abs of steel. But if you take it off, it's what you've got underneath that's real, right? But that molded armor, when it comes from God, it works the way a mold is supposed to. It forms you to it. So that even if the Lord says to you, as he says to a church in the book of Revelation, I see that you've only got a little bit of strength. Nevertheless, put your hope in me and I'll give you my strength. I'll put that breastplate on you with all the musculature of Jesus. I mean spiritual muscles now, because like Paul said elsewhere in the scriptures, physical uh, health and physical training, it has its place. It has some value and that's real, it does. But much more valuable is spiritual strength is spiritual health. And Jesus says, I will not only give you the outer image of that, but I'll conform you to the likeness of Christ. I'll make you like it from the inside out. So that when we see him, we'll be like him. You say, well, I'm looking in the mirror and I don't see it now. Well, we see through a glass darkly. The mirror we're looking through right now, it isn't clear, but if you'll have faith to hope in what you're going to see, when you see him, you'll be like him. He will have seen to that because he who has called you is faithful. He also will do it. And you can, you can trust in that. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 59, verses 15 through 21 now. Here, Isaiah is talking about the Lord looking at the earth and looking even among his own people. And this is kind of tough now. You ready for some tough love? Because God shows tough love too. God looks and he isn't pleased with what he sees because he doesn't find anybody wearing the belt of truth. Truth is nowhere to be found. He doesn't find people ready with faith. Jesus said, the son is going to return, but when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will anyone have that shield of faith? Will anyone wear that breastplate of righteousness? Will there be those that are holding on for the truth of the Lord? The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. And sadly, once again, even in this week, our world has been roiled by uh, a burgeoning awakening of yet another tragic moment where injustice uh, has so broken the hearts of people and revealed um, racial and ethnic injustice and inequities in our culture that are so deeply rooted and that have so much, do so much harm to all of us. And the Lord sees and the Lord grieves and the Lord is displeased to see that there is none who is righteous. No, not one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene so what did he do? <laughs> if you're a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm going to make a comparison between God and Thanos. That might be heresy. I don't know. That's, I, I hope not. I'm just making a lighthearted, tongue-in-cheek parallel here. But there's a moment where Thanos, who, if you've seen the films, you know that he's in a cosmic quest to get the full armament, if you will, of these, of these infinity stones which not only are these precious um, and, and I guess sort of quasi-eternal aspects of this comic book universe, but they have power in them. Well, if you're willing to allow for this kind of a symbol, let's say for a moment that that's the full righteousness 
of, a, of a, a, a god being that's being warred over in that story. And Thanos can't seem to get anyone who's going to be successful in gathering that all together. And so he says, fine, I'll do it myself. Well, that's what the Lord is saying here. The Lord says, I'm looking for righteousness and there is no one righteous, but I, says the Lord, I will be righteous. Jesus Christ, eternal in the heavenly, says, who will save my people? There is no one that has the righteousness that can, so I will save my people. I will come down and I will clothe myself in humanity, but I will also clothe myself in the whole character of who I am, and I will achieve salvation. His own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. You see, there is no other righteousness except the righteousness of God. There is no righteousness anywhere. Thanos isn't righteous. Thanos isn't real. But none of us is righteous either. Only God. But God comes to share his righteousness. Now, he came not only to share his righteousness, but to wear his righteousness. Look at verse 17 of Isaiah 59. And here you can see the spiritual and scriptural inspiration for Paul's terminology hundreds of years later in the book of Ephesians. It says that the Lord put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance. Here, vengeance is not describing some kind of unrighteous or unreasonable, um, angry and, and, and wild attitude. And by the way, it's important that you and I recognize that as real as the injustice of our world is, that injustice cannot be righted by the anger of people. The word of the Lord says that the anger of human beings cannot accomplish the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord says, vengeance is mine. This doesn't mean that you and I should not be advocates for justice. This does not mean that we should not partner with those that we see being treated unjustly in order to rectify those circumstances in whatever way we righteously can. But it does mean that getting angry is not what God has called us to do. And fighting with each other is expressly not the battle that we've been called to. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood and we do not fulfill the righteousness of God with our anger. There are things that make us feel angry. And you know what? A lot of us are even in this moment, in this season of time, dealing with a kind of random anger, I think, which is we're feeling like I'm tired of being locked down and shut up. I'm tired of being worried and afraid. Some people will say, I'm not afraid, but I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, of the struggle. Whatever your particular brand of, of what irritates or annoys or, or innervates or discourages or aggravates you, I think you probably can relate to what I'm saying, which is right now there's a, there's a struggle that we not give in to anger in the flesh. It's a temptation, but it won't reveal the righteousness of God. However, God brings vengeance in a way that is a reflection of his love and his truth and his justice. And according to what people have done, the Lord responds. By the way, he wraps himself in the cloak of zeal. That's one of the elements that Paul doesn't reference in Ephesians, but we're gonna talk about it. So when we come to the conclusion of this series in just a few weeks, in the month of June, God willing, we're gonna talk about the cloak of zeal as well, because even though Paul doesn't reference it expressly, 
just hold on to this. Just, this is a, a, a little sneak peek for the future. I think there's something that Paul says as he comes to the conclusion of this section that we're going to get to in weeks to come that relates to the cloak of zeal. I'll leave that for you to investigate in the word and in prayer as we lead up to that moment. But let's continue here in Isaiah 59 right now. So he will repay wrath to his enemies. And make no mistake that he has got uh, primarily in his focus here the spiritual enemies of God. But there are those who would align themselves with the spiritual enemies of God. That is, not only the demonic powers, but those that would that would align themselves with that. And the Lord is making a warning here. Don't align yourself with the enemies of God because he will repay according to what they are due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun, that is the east, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. That's the power of the Spirit. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. Let that be us. For the Lord has declared it, and that's our hope. That's the good news, which we're also going to talk about soon. The good news is that God says, if you will repent and turn to me, I will forgive and make you like me. And I will do that through my love, a love that doesn't disappoint, a love that never ends. Because these three abide, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. And I'm going to ask if you have your elements of the communion, that you would uh, bring those to you uh, for this concluding time of the teaching. Just hold them there with you, and uh, I will lead us in the sacrament of communion in just a moment. But as we prepare to, here is love. You may not be able to see it, but I have my cup, and I have my bread. And this is the righteousness of God, broken and given for my unrighteousness. This is the wholeness and holiness of God flowing to me, to you, that we might be one, not only one with him, but one with each other. We have one hope, and he is it, that he's coming back, that whether we go to him or he comes to us, if we trust in him, we are already one with him. Since we belong to that hope, since we belong to the daytime, Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Remember that same, that same uh, uh, symbolism that Paul used in Ephesians, talking about don't be people of the night, don't be people of the dark, be people of the day, be people of the light. Once again, be sober. That is, be awakened and enlightened to the reality of the Spirit. Don't be drunk on the things of the world. Don't be drunk on wine but be filled by the Spirit and be sober because of it. Be girded with the truth. Be covered with righteousness. Put on faith and love as a breastplate. Once again, Paul uses the terminology of breastplate, and here he says faith and love. So again, I want, I want to say that faith, hope, love, and righteousness are all one because they're all God. Put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, that means his wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake, that means live here on the earth right now, or asleep, nevertheless, we live. When he says asleep, he's using it as a euphemism, meaning if we die in this world, we are still not dead in Christ because he died for us so that we can live eternally 
a love that never ends together with him. So encourage one another. Build each other up just as in fact you are doing. That's why I'm preaching to you today to encourage you and to build you up in this love. That's why I'm so grateful for the interactions we have that you stream with us these services or watch these recordings or read the transcripts, that you participate in our prayer meetings and your own Bible studies and prayer meetings, that you're texting each other and emailing each other and sharing. Many of you that have been so generous to share food and gifts and help with us, our family, and with one another, and we're, we're so blessed by that. People who are sharing scripture, who are sharing um, beautiful images, who are sharing teaching videos, who are uh, speaking to their co-workers about how you're praying for them. All of these things are ways in which you can encourage each other, build each other up, and, and strengthen each other in the righteousness that comes from God. Acknowledge those who care for you in the Lord. You certainly have done that for me. I acknowledge these leaders that are here with me and pray for them, won't you? Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, their ministry. Live in peace with each other. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. When we think of righteousness, we often think of doing the right thing. Beloved, make no mistake. The Lord's character enables us to know the right thing and to do the right thing. And even when we fail to do the right thing, the Lord's character, if we will yield to it, the Lord's spirit will reveal to us where we have failed. And if we sin, we confess. When we sin, we repent. He is faithful and just cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to clothe us with his righteousness, strong and eternal. Lord, we take into our hands today this bread, which is your body. As strong as you are, you came to us weak. And in the breaking of your body, you revealed the wholeness of your strength. Lord, we have broken covenant with you in so many ways at so many times. Every time we've lied, every time we've cheated, every time we've lusted, every time we've doubted, every time we spoke an angry word against someone else that wasn't of you, every time that we were selfish, every time that we were foolish, in a carnal way. We've done something to violate who you are and what you've called us to be. And even this week, Lord, we've, we've messed up, we've slipped up, and we ask that you would forgive us. In fact, we thank you that you do forgive us and that you not only forgive us, but you repair us that you have healing for our physical bodies and for our souls, and that you also unite us as one body in you. So as we receive this bread, which is your body, we do it in remembrance of you and ask that you would make us one with you and with each other, and that you would cover us in your righteousness.
take the cup for me. If you're grieving this week, because you want to see people come to the Lord who are resisting him. If you're grieving because you want to see righteousness renewed, restored, released in our nation, in our society, among our leaders. If you're heavy laden or burdened because you see the brokenness of our economy, you've seen the unemployment numbers, you've recognized the trauma that people are experiencing. If your heart is breaking because there is still so much division and inequity and injustice. Here is righteousness that covers it all and more. But each one of us is called to receive the righteousness of God by faith and to declare the righteousness of God not only in what we say and what we do, but most of all in who we are that his heart would be ours. So Lord, the blood flows from the heart and here this cup of the new covenant flows from your heart to ours to cleanse us of sin, to cover us in righteousness and to equip us to fight your battles by your spirit with love for one another, with justice for all, with grace, and with a breastplate of righteousness empowered by the Holy Spirit to enable us to stand strong and to take the lamb for you. We drink this blood, Lord, and ask that you would fulfill your life in us according to your perfect will. Now I want to say one more prayer. I told you we were going to pray for mothers today. We prayed earlier, but if you're a mom and you've got people around you, or I guess what I should say is if you're around a mom, if there's a mom next to you right now, put your hands on her, won't you? Put your, put your hand on her shoulder, on her back, on her head, or maybe take her hand in yours. She can be your mom or she can be a mom. It may be your wife. It may be your sister, whoever is there. It may be your roommate, but she's a mom. If you're both moms, Put, put your hands on each other. If there's no mom there with you where you're at, just lift your hands up to the Lord, but have in mind those mothers that you want to pray for today that have a special place in your life. And let's pray a blessing upon moms. I want to pray a special blessing, of course, on my wife, uh, my fellow pastor, Hazel, and uh, on my, my mother, Brenda, and my mother-in-law, Remy, and all the mothers of our family, my sisters-in-law, um, and cousins and so forth, and especially all the mothers of PCF, all your mothers, too many to name, but every single one so precious. Lord, bless these mothers today. We thank you for their lives. We thank you for this day set apart to honor them. Despite the challenges in our society and in our world in this moment, I pray that you would release wonderful times of blessing that would be safe and healthy and well and joyous for mothers everywhere. 
and that each one, Lord, would have a special uh, touch of your grace upon them, even as we pray for them now. We thank you for their life. We pray for their health. We pray for their children. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, continue to um, fulfill your will and purpose for each one of them to the highest measure of blessing and grace. We thank you for the mothers of PCF, and we thank you for the life of PCF that is so blessed by them, and we pray that you would continue to uh, bless the world through them. And Lord, for all that are within the sound of my voice today or through this recording, may your grace, your peace, your wholeness, your, your faith, your hope, your love, your righteousness be upon us. If there is anyone who has walked away from you, Lord, I pray that they would take this opportunity to come back to you, even right now, simply saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and receive me as holy clean. And if there's someone who's never given their life to you before, but they're doing so today, I pray, Lord, that your love and your righteousness would flood them where they are right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And friend, if that's you, let us know, because we want to not only rejoice with you, but share resource with you of things that could be helpful on how you can get connected with the body of Christ. We're not able to meet in this building right now, but we are still one in the spirit and we will be in this building again. And even right now we declare, Lord, in your time, but in quick season, restore to us the opportunity to be face to face with one another. But also let us not forget let us remain invigorated in this reality. We are the church deployed. We are the church on mission. We have a message to share and we have a righteousness to reveal and it's his. So be clothed in it, covered in it, and by his grace, be made whole, be made strong, and be made more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved you. Amen.